Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined with Scott Reel and Seth Abram, and we're just glad to be here with you guys. Everyone say hello. Scott, Seth, hey. you want to say a quick hello to everybody? Hello, everybody. Howdy. Howdy. See, we're all here, and we're glad you're here, and uh, we are uh, on a 36-day uh, contemplative journey with Scott's new book called Journey of Transformation, which is the follow-up part two of Journey to Freedom. And although it's written, uh, it has yet to be released to the world, but we are taking each one of these days and making them into an episode and just trying to help help you understand your personal story and your inner life more fully and compassionately. And we're having a good time at it, and we're glad that you guys are here. And today we want to talk about changing our factory settings, um, which could be a surprise if you're listening for the first time. Um, if you're a regular <laughs> listener, then then you know we preach this and talk about this all the time, that we can change the ways that we think. You know, there was a time when we thought, as you got older, um, you got stuck in your ways and you could not change. But with neuroscience and just the new things we're learning about the brain, we are all discovering that we actually can change the way we think. But there are ruts and grooves in the brain that our memories have traveled for years. So sometimes we get stuck. They could be positive, they could be negative. But in fact, brain activity flows through uh, our brains, the system of our brain, based on what happened before. We are really responding to what has happened in the past, both positive and negative. But this is the deception of the unconscious uh, habit insecurity and overconfidence are our factory settings of a fixed mindset. And the factory settings in the mind can be changed. That's just, this is the good news that we want to talk about today. Our brains begin with many possibilities, routes through the neural networks. With time, the practice pathways can become difficult to exit. And that's both good news if it's positive and maybe bad news if it's negative. But Scott, yeah, this is an important, this is right in the middle of the book, you said, just before we started recording. This is day 18 of 36 days. So right in the middle, it's about how can we change our factory settings? Where are we trying to lead us to uh, in this day? Well, this is a, a, ironic. It's the very center of the book. And it's the central point that uh, stimulated the whole concept of the book for me about 10 years ago when I was walking on the beach at uh, Fort Lauderdale. And I was looking at Covey's book, Seven Habits, Successful People, and he made the point that we're always going to be dealing with symptoms of our behaviors until we strike at the root cause. And he says, and that is the paradigm, our foundational paradigms. And he went on to say that our responses will always be dictated by what we are seeing. When and So a paradigm is what I believe, mm. and from that belief, as we have been stating to our listeners, we don't believe what we see, we see what we believe. I think it's one of the most profound statements. I think it kind of captures the essence of the book. And so that's what a paradigm is. It's, it's what I'm believing, and it's creating the lens in which I'm seeing. And so if I'm continuing to see the world, myself, God, and life through the same lens, through the same paradigm, it's going to create the same response. And so then we know in science that those neural pathways become just ruts, that they're deeply ingrained. 
and they're, they've been there for a long time. So what I'm seeing is I'm repeating the past all the time and how I'm responding because that's what I've learned. And that's how the brain works. But the good news is we can learn new neural pathways and we can create a new response by transforming our paradigms. But I'm, you know, and I, this is being the center of the book. I just have to overemphasize that I cannot overemphasize. It takes concentration. It takes self-discipline. It takes effort. It takes a supportive community. It's going to take time. But the consi- that little phrase I put together years ago for recovery, the consistency plus time plus grace equals transformation. I didn't even know when I created that little saying that that would be true to how we create a neural pathway. That cons- You didn't even have the science back then. No. <laughs> but you believed it in your heart. I love it. So You were a scientist before the scientists figured boy, it out. Boy, me, scientific. <laughs> that's, that's a stretch. Um, it is interesting, Scott and Seth, that... I, this is just what I've heard, and maybe you guys can affirm this, but it's like the negative past seems to, to stick a little more difficultly in our pathways um, than the positive ones. Like the positive ones take a little more work and practice where the negative ones just kind of build ruts quickly and stay longer to really do the work to have a more healthy way of thinking. It, it does take some extra effort and practice, right? Oh, it takes much more effort. We've, the science has proven that because of the way that our brains are created to, to remember things that are, can harm us, that we, we fearful thoughts, negative thoughts, definitely have an ability to stick stronger than to creating a positive. But, you know, I was listening yesterday on the Bible app. They were, the verse of the day was that the verse that which we use a lot is taking all thoughts captive. And they actually did a really good job with it. What they were saying was that one of the most important thoughts we have to take captive is, and what to me they were describing a paradigm, is what I'm believing about God and how God sees me. And, and I, because that to me is a significant change that's happening in my life is the transformation of how I believe God sees me. Hmm. And if you think about that, that has a profile. You know, and so if I believe that God is seeing me through this lens of punitive, that he's harsh in, on me mm-hmm. and his view of me, he's disappointed with me so often. And then I, that has become a pattern in my life. And that becomes the, well, I want to change because I don't want somebody to be disappointed with me. That that will not create what we're going to talk about a little bit later, a value-driven choice. And the, the value of my life is I want to become more loving and more hopeful and more faithful. And, I went, and that's driven by grace, which is love. That is not a punitive, consequential, extrinsic motivation. Yeah, the research bears that out too, that even um, agnostics and uh, who study neuroscience would say that when the mind is thinking on a loving God, it seems to fire more healthily. And, and when it's thinking on a punitive God where perhaps there's punishment and judgment, it is not as healthy. So the science bears it out. And what I love is that even agnostic, agnostic and atheist scientists might even say it doesn't even matter if that God exists. 
but we can't argue that when the brain is mm -hmm. thinking on a loving being, mm -hmm. that it is yeah. in some way more healthy. Seth, um, you said something in preparation. It's a polyvagal theory, and I wonder if you can introduce mm -hmm. that to us and, and our listeners. I'm not going to get into a long thing here with, uh, at least I'm going to try not to, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it's primarily this, it's a, a newer uh, ish kind of take on understanding the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So this, the, the terminology polyvagal, uh, I believe it, it, I forget the language in here, but it, it comes, it, it primarily means like wanderer and it's the, the, connection, the wiring in the back of our brains here that goes all the way down, you know, into our hearts and, and connects kind of primary uh, systems within our body and organs. But yeah, it, yeah, it's it's uh, this newer theory primarily from um, a lady that has been popularizing it named Deb Dana. And she talks about how there are kind of three primary aspects of polyvagal theory. She says there's what's called hierarchy. Well, we already know what that is, but but like this is where you travel in your nervous system in a hierarchical way from, you know, social connection or um, what's called ventral, or this is like when you're feeling safe and secure. Mm -hmm. And then when, you know, stress hits, you're in fight or flight, and then you can go into shutdown. You can be in freeze as well. And she says hierarchy, like you actually have to travel these in order. So in order to, to refine safety and security and feeling regulated, you have to, like if you're all the way at the bottom of the, what's called the ventral ladder, you've got to travel back up through each of these, which is wild to me. But why I brought this up in our, in our planning session is because some of her languaging, uh, she says that story, the story we are telling ourselves and the story we're seeing in the world, uh, story follows state is her languaging. And so the idea here is that our thoughts are actually the result of where we are in our nervous system, which of these mm. um, states we are in. Uh, so again, ventral or connection, feeling safe and regulated, or you know, the sympathetic nervous system, the side, which is fight or flight, or then you can be in shutdown or uh, in freeze. So from each of these kind of states, we actually um, are perceiving the world from a from a, in a different way, an entirely different way. So some actual language for you to just give an example from like the, the safe and secure connection, social connections uh, space. This is the languaging here. This is from a, a, a girl named Sarah B coaching on Instagram, but she talks about, or she says, an example is I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Even if things are hard, I know it's going to be okay. I'm connected with myself and people around me. Some of the languaging from that, from like the sympathetic side of your nervous system, which is fight or flight, it is, oh no, are people mad at me? Mm. Uh, I can't take a break or slow down because there's so much to do. They're so annoying and I'm irritated. And then from shutdown, the languaging is, I just want to hide under the covers. Uh, no one cares about me, so what's the point? Everything feels so impossible, I can't do it. And then in freeze, it is, I need to say something, but I can't speak up. Um, I want to make progress in my in in my purpose, but it feels impossible to take steps forward. So I just I think it's super fascinating and important to remember that our biologically there are these these states that we can be hanging out in and perceiving the world and reality from without knowing it. And unless we're engaging the world from that place and finding regulation, it's pretty difficult to not read the world through one of these you know survival states. Wow. So. Wow, that the examples you just gave were states that had a story they were telling us that yeah. we began to believe and follow. So the awareness of maybe which story you're listening to right now helps you identify the state and 
mm-hmm. perhaps what might be the uh, another story or an, uh, another way that you could begin to think that would help you pull out of that state, right? I was, yeah. um, uh, this past week, I was at a baseball game and I was watching uh, my five-year-old grandson play baseball and he got a hit and he was running to second base and he went out of the baseline a little bit and then came back in because uh, 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 another kid was chasing him. And when he got to second base, he almost overran it and, and then stepped back on it. And right as he stepped back on it, the other kid tagged him, but he was safe. And so I made this comment. I said, wow, I wish I had that on video because it was just so funny watching my grandson almost you know, run out of the baseline, almost missed the base. But listen what happened. At the end of the game, Debbie and I were leaving and this woman comes up to me and she says, I heard you were making fun of my grandson. Ooh. And I was like, what? I thought, she had, I thought she had mistaken me for somebody else. And she said, uh, she wanted to tell me, and, and please forgive uh, me for this language she used, but she said, the fat kid chasing the kid at second base. And I heard you said, I would love to have that on video. And I went, then it all connected. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. ma'am. No, no, no. That was my grandson. I was, I was making a comment about him over, almost overrunning second base. I was not commenting about uh, your son, but she had heard this secondhand from another person who heard me made that comment and had deducted from it that I was making fun mm. of her son. And you would think you would be defensive in that moment, but uh, I learned something um, because what I heard was hurt. Hmm. And I felt deep compassion that somehow this had been misconstrued. But her reality was is that I was making fun of her grandson when the truth was I was actually laughing at my grandson. So, right. yeah, we can even mistake reality, right? Sounds like she was potentially in on the sympathetic side of her nervous system, fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she wanted to believe me that I was telling mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. And I said, ma'am, I would never make fun of, of your son. But anyhow, yeah, so that's a great story that proves your point there. What I find interesting, too, is um, I I'd only mentioned the first one, but uh, um, I, I forgot to mention Deb Dana says the three primary components of polyvagal theory is, again, first one is hierarchy, but the second two are neuroception and mm. co-regulation. So your ability to help calm her down is how she was regulated in, in that co-regulation. So she found yeah. safety and connection. She was able to see correctly because of being co-regulated, co-regulated with you. Yeah, and I would have to say this because in case she's listening, um, <laughs> that she was she was actually very kind, but deeply mm-hmm. hurt and wounded. Uh, Scott, in the book, you say this, you said that um, fight and flight response shuts down growth. So what Seth is saying, you know, one of these states, the story that we're believing just absolutely shuts us down. Like we, we, we cannot grow and we can't grow and transform while we are in a state of fear and insecurity, which we uh, all of us have found ourselves in at some point in time. But when we think only of our problems, then we aren't motivated by a value or by value. Research has proven that when people are prompted with positive stimuli, they do better at creative tasks. So here's the question I have for you, Scott. How can we be more motivated by value, which enables us to build these skills that help us flourish? You know, that is a great question because it really, to me, sets up the whole process of transformation. And, you know, go back to what I wrote in Journey to Freedom and based it on Prochaska's model that that 
the, the movement from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation was the key to sustaining motivation. Because when it comes to change in all these things that we're talking about, I have to be able to sustain my motivation. And mm. punitive motivation doesn't carry anybody very far. It's as we as science has shown and, and research, it's not sustainable. Once pressure is removed, people will go back to their prior behaviors and but to become intrinsically motivated, and as Covey says, value-driven choices are the only ones that are sustainable. So to sustain the motivation on this path of transformation, there's got to be something that's being added to my life of value something that's going to grow, I'm going to gain, I'm going to become something more than I've been versus just focusing on the problem, trying not to do it because it's going to cause me trouble. That's not sustainable. And that's really what we're trying to make the point here. So that's why vision to me is always central to intrinsic motivation. Do you have a vision? And I've always said to people, you need to have a vision when you're in your 20s in your 30s, and your 40s, and your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, as long as you live, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, your marriage, your job, your work, but especially with your walk with God and becoming, do you have a vision that stimulates in you, I want to be that person. That's the man I want to be. That's the woman I want to be. That's the father, the mother, the wife, the husband, the employee, just the human being that I want to be. When when people get a, a, a strong sense of belief that and they're motivated and that it's intrinsic that's what is sustainable and that's what will carry us all the way through and i think that's what paul was saying when he says it you know he was diminishing in all these ways but he said spiritually i'm growing all the way to the end all mm. the way to when i'm out of here and so again i i recommend to our, our listeners that i need a community i need support who believe in that vision will help support me with that vision uh, because that keeps me motivated and it stimulates in me to, to expand. I, I really believe that's why grace is the most powerful force in the universe because grace meets me in my stuff, in my dark places with a vision of, you know, you're more than this. You are more than this and I've got something for you. Take my hand. We're going to fight for this together and I believe in you. I'm for you and I'm never going to desert you. I don't know if there's anything that motivates me more than when someone comes alongside me when I'm feeling the worst about myself says, you know what? This is a man I see. And you're gonna you're gonna get through this and you're gonna grow into this and you and there's a lot left for you to do. Um so that's a I get excited about that question. <laughs> and I really think that's what redemption is. I think it's I'm redeeming my life. It's not you're a bad person and and you gotta stop doing these things or you're gonna be kicked out of this club. It's no, you're, you got so much potential, and we're going to fight together for that potential to be unleashed and to become realized. And I believe in you, and we're going to believe in it together, and then we're going to see it, and you're going to become it, and you're going to do it, and you're going to change your whole destiny. That gives a person the motivation to get out of bed and to fight the good fight every day. Man, that's, that's what we all need. Um, I love at the beginning of this day, you did talk about the unconscious habits of insecurity and overconfidence. For some of us, it's insecurity. We don't see enough of our goodness or um, we can't see enough of the possibility. Is it possible for others that we're overconfident and when we're in loving relationships, they can, um, with kindness and love, can can help us 
be more humble. I don't want to assume that for everyone, the unconscious habit is one of insecurity. What if it's overconfidence? <laughs> what if we were made for you know, a little less. Like Scott, I know you and I had visions of playing for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> if we were still pursuing that, um, we'd be quite frustrated and, and depressed. But there came a point in time where uh, the reality of that led to a more beautiful path for us. Yeah, so I'm just wondering, does uh, community can even help us in that where can lovingly help us accept our lives? Yeah, I- Seth, if you had something, but it made me think of the movie Dreamer, which I saw years ago with Dakota Fanning and Kurt Russell and this little girl. She had dreams of her dad and her having a racehorse that would become a champion at, Mm. at like the Kentucky Derby. And he has become very cynical and hurt by his losses, and he's given up on his dreams and there's a scene where the father, she she wants to go buy this horse, and it's just, it's it's a pipe dream, you know. But, and the father is cynical. He, he doesn't want her to get hurt with false hope by life. And the wife says to, her, to the husband, she goes, let her have her dream. Let it carry her as far as it can right now. Wow. And I think of that. Because uh, she'll grow up into, as, as all of us, you, you and I grew out of our <laughs> dream of playing for the Cleveland Browns. And, <laughs> um, but it carried us through a period of time in our life um, that we needed to have a vision. What do you think of that, Seth? Yeah, that's a cool story. Um, I, I was just thinking about how, you know, those people that, are, that maybe tend to have a more bent of insecurity and people that have on the opposite side of that an overconfidence. I think I've heard it said, and I've experienced being the person on the more insecure side of things, having that bent. That there's sort of, there's usually a hidden opposite of that. People have that have an overconfidence are usually hiding or unaware of an insecurity. Mm. And people that are insecure wish they had an overconfidence. You know, wish <laughs> they had. Right. That's so true. Um, yeah. Mm. You know, just taking that. I think. Uh, I think. When people are able to allow into their hearts um, their community, then they can be informed by it. So, uh, kind of backtracking what we were where we were going earlier, you know, this this idea that negativity imprints immediately in our brains. Mm-hmm. Along with that, um, there's the science that says positivity um, does not, and it requires at least. 15 seconds of your attentive focus before yeah. it actually informs you on some level. A negative is like and, Velcro mm-hmm. and yeah, a positive yeah. is like, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it? Teflon. So yeah, it slips, exactly. off, slips off much more quickly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it makes me think of like when we do the affirmations for week eight in our groups, um, I usually just say that quick thing about how negativity imprints immediately in the brain. And so when you're receiving affirmations right now, Really, like, even put yourself in a physical posture, and that would help you receive the positivity coming in right now, so that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. Uh, how can you receive this for? Take some deep breaths and allow this to hit you for ten to fifteen seconds, so it actually informs you. Mm. Um, and and yeah, I do think we are deeply informed when we allow ourselves to receive, but we actually have to posture ourselves. I think. Yeah, all growth, all growth involves practice, right? Yeah, it's like. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't befall us. It It is new things that we give ourselves to, which is space and time and thinking and meditation and prayer. Of course, yeah. All, to, to think that somehow 
we're just going to have it without some effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just unrealistic. And Scott, I love your point that even when, you know, how uh, a group can witness to us being overconfident and not like blow up our dream. I mean, they're to walk with us in it and to allow it to take it as far as it can. And then when it does blow up, they're there to love us and help us discover that there's something on the other side of this. So great thoughts, you guys. Here's the final thought that I want to end this with. And Scott, you ended the day with this, but how long will we keep punishing ourselves? That was the question. And if, you know, what we understand about the ways we think, we're more apt to want to repair what we did in the past, right? And rather than accept a fresh start. So, and that isn't always possible. There may be some things that we can make amends or repair, but there's a lot that we just can't. What would life look like if we were totally free from the past? And you said in the book, and I love this, you said, let the past be the past, which is fundamental to experiencing a paradigm shift and choose a new beginning. Scott, that's, that's where where this happens. Um, that's where all the action is here in this day is how can we let the past be the past and choose a new beginning? I don't know if there's a more motivating and uplifting and transformative concept than choose a new beginning today. Let the past mm. be the past. This is what was trying to make the point of this whole day is that we're allowing the past to determine our present and even our future. And that's, um, and when I, I when I hear that verse, take all thoughts captive. What I'm the thoughts that are really pulling me away from God and God's dreams for my life and visions for my life and to my potential are my errors, the and and my and the self punishment that shame continues to heap upon me, um, because often we do we find ourselves in consequences suffered from things that we've struggled with in the past. They're presenting themselves now. So to make a new beginning, to choose to make a new beginning, is like choosing to be born again, to be resurrected. A new life begins. You can be born again. And that, again, for me, is a message of grace. I'm going to meet you right where you are, Scott, today. And we're going to choose to make a new beginning and we're going to grow from this. And we're going to even use some of this stuff from the, this past that has hurt you. It's all going to be for good, though. And you're going to grow into the greatest version of you there's ever been. That's what gives us hope. I think that is a great definition of hope. And you always ask this question, Scott. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to, who do you want to become? I, I was a couple episodes back, it was... Um, what we look toward is where we go, right? I've heard you say it's it's thinking of it as aiming your life. Mm-hmm. We can aim our life backwards or we can aim our life forward. And, and um, not easy, but yeah, there is a way to do that. And hey, by the way, I am so impressed with you guys. Like you guys sound like two scientists with your understanding of this, but uh, you're also two human beings that live this. And um, we have a lot... Uh, at work. We have uh, spiritual lives. Uh, uh, we believe a loving being that's guiding us, helping to aim our life forward and not backward. Um, we have new science in neuroscience that we we can, becoming more aware that we're not stuck, that we can change. We can begin to think differently and there's practices and 
things we can engage our hearts and our our lives with that are going to guide us. Um, you guys model for us the community is a far better way to aim your life forward than trying to do it alone. So we have so much to to help us change our factory settings. Um, hmm. We don't have to do it all by ourselves. But I'm going to give you guys just one more final word before we go today. I'll start with you, Seth. It's a big yeah. takeaway for you in this. Thanks. Yeah, um, I did have a, a couple thoughts here at the end. I was, we were talking about the past, um, and and there was a, a, of course, a quote that came to mind for me. All right. Um, one of my all-time favorite authors, out of all the favorite authors that I have, the all-time favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're just we're talking about changing factory settings, and I'm yeah. just thinking about how um, I think this is pretty much has entirely to do with uh, uncovering and facing the past in order to not be run or punished by it. Mm. And which just reminds me of this quote that I mentioned. It's from a guy named James Hollis. And he says, The past is not past. The present is haunted by the patterned dynamics which remind us that any story untold is an unconscious present. An unconscious present is a story which will insist on being told and will spill out into our biographies. Wow. So... Told or untold, the archaic stories ineluctably manifest through our unconscious choices, our aversions, our preoccupations, our projections, and our agendas, and replay themselves in the recognizable patterns which constitute the human story. Friends, you could <laughs> back that up about a minute and 30 seconds and put it on half speed <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to get it all, because that, that is a mouthful, but helpful. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. what he's saying here is the way to be not controlled or run or punished by our past is to tell the story. Yes, yes. Tell the story of our past pain, and that's how we are relieved by, of it. And that's what we do in our groups. Yeah. That's why they're healing, yeah. That's why we need others to be able to share that story that can hear it with empathy. Scott, I'm going to the final word here. Um, right. You wrote it. Well, what do you want our listeners? They're listening in their cars um, before they go to sleep, waking up in the morning. Um, what do you want them to meditate on as they fall asleep or as they begin their day to day or they're driving to work or from home? Well, it's actually from the last page, last day, the last page of this day of the book, on page 135. The question we must ask ourselves is who do we long to be? Then we craft a vision based on unconditional love. Think of it as aiming your life, and it takes courage to co-create with God a vision of authenticity that will lead to transformation. So abandon your sense of guilt and condemnation and become vulnerable to God, and you will not find rebuke. You will be, in a way, reborn. And so... And that made me think, I went back and I was reading Addiction and Grace by Dr. Gerald May, which was the beginning of my whole journey 25 years ago. And um, Dr. May makes this point that we all begin to change through the effort of reformation. We're going to reform our behaviors. And it's usually driven by extrinsic motivation. It's punitive. But then all through this, there's a gentle voice from God saying, Come home. Come come home to your true self with me and the freedom that I have for you. And you'll experience that love that you've been desiring your whole life. And he calls that consecration. 
when we're no longer attempting to reform our behaviors, we're not trying to make ourselves into a better person. We're just saying yes to this beautiful, loving grace, saying, come home, Scott. Come home to me who you are. And we're going to live this rest of this life out together. We're going to grow into something beautiful. We're going to make a new beginning. And that, to me, is such a beautiful... And I was thinking of that as I was looking at this day and preparing for it. So um, I would want the listeners to know that that is possible for all of us. And that gentle voice, come home. Come, just, just come on home. Where you're loved unconditionally and all things are possible. Mm. Well, friends, you've heard from a gentle voice and heart, Scott Real, come home. Uh, you are more loved than you can imagine, and none of us have to uh, do this alone. So though all every one of us are on a different path, um, we are all traveling the same human journey. So please visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about groups you can join. We'd love to journey with you um, anywhere along the way that we can. But over every mountain, there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path and take care, friends. So we just want you to know, although every one of us are on a different path, we're all traveling the same her, same human journey together. Let me start that all over. <laughs> <laughs> same hernia together. Yeah, did I, that, is, that what, is that what it came out, hernia? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough... Ouch. It felt like a hernia when it was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> mm.